Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. John Miltimore is the editor-at-large at fee.org, F-E-E.org. We'll be talking about the really amazing uh, career right now, starting for Javier Malai. He's the anti-Hugo Chavez of South America. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Many Murder Mysteries. It is January the 8th, and on this day in 1835, President Andrew Jackson achieved his goal of entirely paying off the United States national debt. It was the only time in U.S. history that the national debt stood at zero, and it coincided with one of the worst financial crises in the United States history. The elimination of the national debt was both a personal issue for Jackson and the culmination of a political project as old as the nation itself. Since the time of the Revolution, American politicians had argued over the wisdom of, of the nation carrying debt. After independence, the federal government agreed to take on individual states' war debts as part of the unification of the former colonies. Federalists, though, <clears throat> those who favored the stronger central government, established a national bank and argued that the debt could be used, be used in a useful way of fueling the nation's growing economy. Their opponents, most notably Thomas Jefferson, felt these policies favored northeastern elites at the expense of rural Americans and saw the debt as a source of national shame. Jackson, a populist who is a Democrat party, grew out of the Jefferson uh, Democrat-Republican Party, had a personal aversion to debt stemming from a land deal that had gone sour for him in the days as a speculator. Campaigning for re-election in 1832, he vetoed the recharter of the National Bank and called the debt a moral failing and black magic. Jackson vetoed a number of spending bills through his tenure and putting off an end to projects that would have expanded nationwide infrastructure. He further paid down the debt by selling off vast amounts of government land in the West and was able to settle the debt entirely in 1835. Jackson's triumph contained the seeds of the economy's undoing. The selling off of federal lands had led to a real estate bubble, and the destruction of the National Bank led to reckless spending and borrowing. Combined with other elements of Jackson's fiscal policy, as well as downturns in foreign economies, these problems led to the Panic of 1837. A bank run and the uh, subsequent depression tanked the U.S. economy and forced the federal government to begin borrowing again. The U.S. had been in debt ever since. The debt skyrocketed during the Civil War, but was nearly paid off by the end of the 20th century, only to balloon again at the onset of World War I. Numerous presidents and politicians have decried the debt and even pledged to do away with it, with conservatives and libertarians frequently echoing ja Jackson's uh, point of view. Nevertheless, the debt now surpasses... $34 trillion. It is unlikely in that in the events of 1835 will ever be repeated anytime soon. In my opinion, <clears throat> yeah, we should pay debt right now is so high, but uh, borrowing is a financial tool. It's something that you can use, but it has to be used judiciously, and right now it's just totally out of control. I think it was probably uh, not used judiciously uh, when Andrew Jackson paid off the debt and uh, led to the decline of the bank run of uh, 1835. Well, markets closed slightly higher Friday, but all three indexes ended the nine-week winning streak. One week into 2024, stocks and bonds are off to their worst start in 21 years as investors may got a bit ahead of their skis in anticipating Fed rate cuts. This week, Wall Street will be focused on fresh, fresh inflation data and the beginning of the Q4 earnings season. Right now, the market's not liking it. The futures are down. What, about 160 right now? So uh, we're not going to be off to a good start today. Well, the DeSantis administration received U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval of its Canadian prescription drug importation program. 
the Agency for Healthcare Administration, submitted the first-of-its-kind plan to safely import cheaper drugs from Canada to the FDA nearly 37 months ago, and after filing a lawsuit against the FDA due to delays, has finally received approval. This approval will save Florida up to $180 million in the first year. The state will begin by providing uh, prescription drugs in a small number of drug ca- classes, which will include maintenance medica- medications to help individuals who have chronic health conditions. Uh, the program will then expand to include uh, providing imported prescription drugs for Medicaid patients and members across the state. So uh, I don't know if this is a win or not. Don't know how to feel about this. We'll look forward to talk to Michael Cannon about it. Uh, later, uh, it's great to pay less, but at what expense? There's always a downturn or a downside to uh, these types of decisions. It could mean less uh, innovation in uh, development of drugs. We'll see. Well, on the eve of the third anniversary of January 6th Capitol riot, a $30 million wrongful death suit has been filed against the federal government for the Capitol Police shooting of Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt. Long time in coming, and I'm glad to see this. U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who fired the fatal shot that took the life of Ashley Babbitt on January the 6th, claims that the shots were being fired at him in the Speaker's lobby and that he was uh, prepared to fire back. According to the federal lawsuit filed by Babbitt's widower, Aaron Babbitt of San Diego, the lawsuit is backed by Judicial Watch, and Babbitt is seeking $30 million from the U.S. government for wrongful death. Uh, the dispatch channel used by the Capitol Police on January 6th recorded the radio dispatch of Byrd's claim. The Epic Times obtained the exclusive recording, which has not been publicly disclosed before. According to the lawsuit, <clears throat> Byrd fired his Glock 22 40 caliber pistol, striking Babbitt in the left shoulder. Following the shooting, Byrd announced that he has been fired upon and was ready to return fire. However, no shots were fired at him or his fellow officers. Video footage shows Byrd emerging in a shooting stance with both hands holding the Glock as he fired the fatal shot at Babbitt. According to the lawsuit, the facts speak the truth. Ashley was ambushed when she was shot by Lieutenant Byrd. Multiple witnesses at the scene yelled, You just murdered her. Byrd, who is now a captain with the U.S. police, I can't believe this. Since this has happened, he got promoted. He was never charged, punished, or disciplined for Babbitt's homicide. The lawsuit filed by Aaron Babbitt seeks to hold Byrd accountable for his actions and to bring justice to Babbitt's family. The recording of uh, Byrd's radio dispatch sheds new light on the events leading up to Babbitt's death and raises questions about her claims of being fired upon, his claims. The lawsuit alleges that no shots were fired at Lieutenant Byrd or his fellow officers, contradicting his statement after the shooting, the exclusive audio Uh, obtain, or, uh, a recording obtained by the Epic Times uh, provides critical evidence in this ongoing legal battle. Washington-based Judicial Watch, God bless them for doing this, great organization, filed the suit on behalf of Babbitt's estate and her husband, Aaron Babbitt, claiming the officer who shot Babbitt was incompetent and dangerous and should have been seen that the 35-year-old posed no threat to Congress when she entered the House Speaker's lobby. He should, this whole investigation should be open. He should be uh, prosecuted for uh, murder or homicide. Uh, it's just unbelievable that not only was this not investigated, he actually got a promotion. And uh, he, he's got a, a number of things in his past that suggest that he's not competent. Well, the Federal Aviation Administration temporarily grounded 71 Boeing 737 MAX 9 airplanes in the U.S. and its territories until they undergo inspections to ensure their safety after a door blew out on uh, on Friday on one of the airplanes. The accident occurred on an Alaska airline flight from Portland, Oregon to California. The flight, which was carrying 171 passengers and six crew members, made an emergency landing back in Portland International Airport after experiencing a sudden depressurization and a commotion among passengers. It could have been much worse. The seats were uh, near the blowout were unoccupied, thank God, and it's likely all passengers were wearing seatbelts since the aircraft was climbing at an altitude of 16,000 feet. Witnesses reported the phones were uh, sucked out of the aircraft while a child lost his shirt due to the sudden change in air pressure that occurred during the damaged part of the plane. But no injuries occurred. Amazing. The blowout occurred on a late afternoon Friday on Port- out of Portland, 
Minutes after takeoff at about 16,000 feet, the failed section was said to be a panel where MAX 9 models have the option for an emergency exit. Alaska Airlines' seat configuration does not require the exit, so the panel had been plugged after production. Apparently, this plane was only a couple of months uh, after production and released uh, for flying. So it, it's they plugged they plugged where the emergency exit should be, and that's what came out. The Boeing 737 Max 9 is the newest version of the of Boeing 737, a popular airplane uh, type used for domestic flights. Uh, now I'd imagine that the markets are down right now, primarily because of Boeing stock plummeting as a result of this. Unbelievable. Well, congressional leaders reached an agreement on spending levels for 2024 fiscal year, striking a roughly $1.7 trillion deal ahead of the looming deadlines to fund separate parts of the federal government. Leaders from both parties in the House and Senate approved the compromise, with individual appropriations uh, bills sticking to the top-line levels by separate committees. The funding level is about $100 billion more than a deal made between then-House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and the President Biden. Conservative lawmakers push for deeper spending cuts, a sticking point that has left negotiations stalled and ultimately drove McCarthy's ouster. A deal would mark a key achievement for his successor, Speaker Mike Johnson. If passed, the deal would come roughly four months into the fiscal year. Federal agencies have been operating on funds doled out in previous two short-term extensions. Two groups of federal agencies are set to run out of funding on the 19th of January and February the 2nd. Um, the Freedom Caucus, I'm sure, is not going to be too happy about this. I think if, if this is going to pass, it's going to take some Democrats to uh, support uh, this effort. It's disappointing. We should uh, just stick with regular order and do what the, the Speaker pledged to do. Uh, this is, uh, again, kicking the can down the road. I don't like it a bit, but I don't know all the details yet. And, uh, I'm going to, I do like Mike Johnson. I hope I wish him well as speaker of the house. Pray for him. Actually, house speaker Mike Johnson is inviting president Joe Biden to deliver his state of the union address on March the 7th. And uh, he sent the letter to the, uh, to the president. So he'll be giving his is a State of the Union address on March the 7th. I'm sure we just can't wait. And he's going to hear something to brag about, Mr. President. The federal debt just increased $6.2 trillion, $6 trillion between January the 20th, the day he was inaugurated, and uh, t- January the 2nd, 2023, in three years, up $6.2 trillion. That equals $47,460 for each of the 131,000 households in the census estimates were in the United States. It's a lot of tamales in just three years. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with John Miltimore, who's the editor-at-large at Fee.org. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Again, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, uh, for our listeners' benefit, you're located in Tel Aviv right now, which is just a, kind of the eye of the storm, if you will. Uh, let's start off with a discussion of what's happening in Israel and the Middle East. Absolutely, Bob. So when we look at what's going on here in Israel, you sort of have to look in multiple fronts in multiple directions, even though there's something that ties them all together. So first, when it comes to Gaza, Israeli uh, troops have more or less completed the northern one-third-plus of, of Gaza, um, have defeated whatever Hamas troops are there, and it's still in a cleanup situation because there's still tunnels they haven't found. There are tunnels everywhere. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of tunnels, and finding them all and destroying them is one of the key, the key purposes of, of the operation. Um, they, most of the effort is towards the, the town city of Khan Yunus, which is in the southern part of Gaza, and where the expectation and thought is that the leadership of Hamas is located underground there and also some percentage of the hostages. Uh, the Israeli army has not succeeded in releasing, except for the very beginning, one hostage. The rest they have not succeeded in releasing, other than by negotiations. And, of course, that's a, a frustration, to say the very least. Mm-hmm. The general expectation is, let's put it this way, they're not all alive. Right. And there's a lot of question whether the women who they kept, they'll ever let go of those women they kept because of what they did to those women. Right, and so it's uh, no one's willing to really say that, but that's really the general sense is that that the women that that, that they didn't release in the end, the rest of the women were they, which they when they were supposed to, and the reasoning is pretty much actually Secretary of State of the United States even said it about uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago when it first happened, that they do not want these women to tell the stories of what Hamas did to them. Yeah, so. That's where that stands. I'm going to come back to. I'm going to come back to it in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the north, um, last week Israel um, killed, or doesn't officially admit it, but it's true. Um, one of the leaders of Hamas, who was in Beirut, who was working out of Beirut, mm-hmm. and who was a friend of Nasrallah. Now, keep in mind the fact that Nasrallah is a Hezbollah movement in Lebanon that is. A semi-proxy of of Iran. When I say semi-proxy, they get all their money and all their arms from Iran. They're not a hundred percent controlled by Iran. They have. They're also a Lebanese party, and they care about what the Lebanese think of them and everything else. So it's a little bit complicated when it comes to that. They've been involved in low-intensity warfare along the border f- since the second day of the war. Uh, they've been shooting anti-tank missiles at both um, Israeli. Um, army places, but also towns and villages along the northern border, just almost destroying one of the towns completely because it's an accumulated basis. Their rockets mostly get intercepted, but uh, the anti-tank missiles, which have like a nine 
that's kilometer, so about a five or six mile um, range, a line of sight. Mm-hmm. And so think of it as a bazooka, but not a bazooka, obviously. And basically, it's line of sight, so it's pretty much instantaneous. It's not like a rocket that goes up in the up in the air and comes down. And you have a chance to intercept. It's coming directly. Mm-hmm. And um, so they've been pounding the settlements in the northern northern part of Israel since the beginning. They've all been evacuated. All these, both all the towns, villages, kibbutzim, have all been evacuated along the border. And um, they've increased that as a result of the assassination. Uh, two days ago, they had sent 60 missiles and uh, rockets at an air force base that is a. Um, uh, it's an early warning station, and it's not an air force base for planes. It's a radar station and everything else. Because it's line of sight from the border, it's, a, it's sitting on one of the highest mountains in in the Galilee, but it's also only three or four kilometers from the Lebanese border. They were able to obviously attack it with um, with these anti-tank missiles, and it created some damage um, to the radar system on the base. So that was a step up in terms of what they've done. A little while ago, it seems um, we killed one of the leaders of the um, Hezbollah forces mm-hmm. in southern Lebanon. Um, so it's not quite clear where this is going. On one hand, there's talk of a negotiated settlement. The U.S. is trying to push for that. Israel would be happy with that, which basically amounts to Hezbollah moving behind the back to the Latani River, which they agreed to under U.N. resolution in in the early 19, in the early um, twenty. 26, I believe it was, 2006. Um, and they violated that ever since. Um, but they would move back in return. Israel would give Lebanon some really small pieces of land that's always been disputed who belongs to who. The UN actually ruled on Israel's side, but Israel really doesn't care that much if that would be mm-hmm. what would happen. Um, but the feeling also is that at some point there's going to be a war one way or the other. Mm. Uh, so some people think it's better now than later, but I'm one of those people who thinks later is better because we're still deep into Gaza. Our army is not is not set up in the way the American army is in terms of, you know, lengthy wars, logistic trains, and everything else that's necessary to maintain. We can, but it's not the best circumstances, let's put it that way. Um, so I believe Israel will do all it can to delay any sort of war with, with Hezbollah um, because we're not really re- I mean, we can fight it, and we'd win it in the end because of the Air Force and everything else, but it's not... It's, it's certainly suboptimal, to mm-hmm. put it that way, to, to fight that war now. Um, additionally, there's been an additional terrorism in, in the West Bank in the last couple of days. That has gone up. And lastly, um, there's the question of the Houthis. Yeah. And the Houthis being this Yemenite group, Shiite group, that has been in a civil war in Yemen now for 20 years. Um, and they've been firing missiles, and they've been trying to interdict ships. Um, and they keep on trying. Uh, the U.S., together with Great Britain, France, and the 20, 20 nations, has a fleet of ships uh, trying to defend the, the um, waterways there with greater or lesser su- success. I mean, a couple of days ago, um, the Houthis tried to board a ship with, from you know these rubber rubber motorized uh, ships that came that came to try to get it. The ship called for assistance. Um, one of the U.S. ships in the, in the area sent helicopters. I think it was the Eisenhower sent helicopters uh, to help them. Yeah. The Houthis, I, no other way I can put it, were stupid and <laughs> fired on the American armed helicopter. Right. And I believe the rules of engagement are pretty clear that if you're fired <laughs> upon, you can fire back. And so they sunk three of the ships and the third, the fourth ship. Uh, I don't know if they're ships or boats. I guess they're boats. Um, managed to get away. So, Mark, uh, so, is, is, are the Houthis, is that a nation, or is it a Yemen? I mean, is it a, okay, is so a bunch the, of pirates? Okay, so let me the Houthis. The, the Houthis are a subset <laughs> of the people in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Yemen has been in a civil war for the last, like I said, almost 20 years between the Houthis, who are not happy with the government in Sana. They actually marched on Sana, managed to capture Sana, the capital, um, but they're still the official government of... of, of um, Yemen, which is Sunni, and they're Shiite. I should even say there's been a civil war that went back to the 1960s between Sunnis and Shiites in Yemen. Hmm. So it goes long, a long way back, but that those weren't, those weren't the Houthis. The Houthis were a particular clan uh, that uh, stepped forth, and then everything got named after them. 
and they get direct support from Iran, and they are very much an Iranian proxy. So hmm. everything they're doing is aimed at uh, aimed at uh, doing what Iran wants. And what Iran is doing is they're, of course, increasing the cost of shipping all over the world because many shipping companies have decided they don't want this problem. They're avoiding what's called the Bab al-Manda, which is where the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean meet. It's a straight, it's a pretty narrow passage, and that's the way you get to the Suez Canal. Yeah. And so about a 25% of world commerce moves through the Suez Canal. They're now instead going around the Horn of Africa. And that's a much lengthier voyage. It adds about two weeks of shipping time and, of course, the obvi- obvious increase in costs and everything else as a result of doing that. So my question was really about, uh, is this a, a, a nation attacking uh, Israel? Or it is a nation. I mean, they, they control 60 or 70 percent of, of Yemen. So, I mean, it um, seems to me it's it probably not a very powerful organization to, to uh, go in and just uh, wipe them out, <laughs> you know, just... Well, let me just say the Saudis tried that for a number of years and didn't succeed. Mm. They tried that from the air. Uh, they tried supporting the other side in the civil war who didn't get their act together. The only way to do that is for basically the United States to decide to go to war with the Houthis, yeah. including ground forces. And I don't think, you know, I don't see anyone lining up in the United States to say that's the best method. No. Obviously, maybe some airstrikes would work, etc., but I doubt... You know, we've learned throughout history that with the probable exception of the Balkans and, uh, and, and the war in the Balkans where the United States and NATO intervened from the air, that was probably the only time in, in history that air power has alone uh, won a war. Yeah. Uh, every other time, air power is important, don't get me wrong, you can't yeah. do without air power. But without putting boots on the ground somewhere, we've never succeeded in the United States or anyone else. So interesting. You know, ever succeeded. Do you think of World War II, for instance? Yeah. In the three months before the end of World War II, Germany was producing more arms than it had producing in the years previously. That's after how many years of bombing from the air, from the strategic bombing bombers? Right. right. Mark, you just need to take yeah. a little break right now. Can you stick around? Absolutely. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get some tickets to some great performances coming up. Just visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So, Mark, I want to talk to you about some of the other things that are going around the globe. But any other comments about Israel and the Middle East? One comment I would like to make, and that's, you know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, a peace plan. Uh, now's the time to make peace, which, um, you know, sometimes at the end of wars you do that. But I think people have to understand something. Um, Israelis came to the conclusion after uh, the events of October 7th not that they didn't believe that, but they really understand how much they really do hate us mm-hmm. and how much they're willing to do. And the, the belief that this goes beyond just the few fighters who did it. There was a phone call that was made by one of the fighters as he was killing a group of Israelis on the, one of the kibbutzim. Kibbutzim, mind you, who were the, the leaders of the peace movement in many ways. And he called his mother and uh, told us about this wonderful thing he has done. He's been killing the Jews in the kibbutz. And she basically said, oh, wonderful, my son, wonderful. Let me speak to your father. He'll be thrilled. Oh, my goodness. And when Israelis heard that conversation, they realized that the situation is much worse than they thought. And um, as much as everyone wants peace, and I do believe the only solution ultimately is going to be a two-state solution, but it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Uh, So that's the feeling amongst, amongst most Israelis, including people who would define themselves as leftists. So, you know, the, the only thing I would say to that, though, Mark, is if, if a leader emerges who sees the world in a different way, they can capture the minds of the uh, Palestinians, you know, the, it has to be a change of a mindset. This is culturally, so deeply culturally embedded. Well, that's, that's the, the point. Problem. It's so deep. It is so, so deep that I don't think one leader can easily do it. I don't think it can be done in a, in, in a generation. It requires more than a generation mm-hmm. to do something like this. We're not talking, you know, the, the hatred. Look, if I was them, I'd hate us, too. So it's not like, you know, well, they don't like us because we took, you know, 20 feet of their border or even, you know, we're talking about a hatred that goes back now generations. Right. And so very, very difficult to, to get even a leader coming, coming forth. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was pessimistic before this war. I'm even more pessimistic. And like I said, I believe the only solution is the two-state solution. But I'm hoping it takes place in my grandchildren's lifetime because it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Mm, interesting. That's my, my pessimistic view of this. So, anyway, let's move on to Ukraine, another optimistic point in the light in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, what's happened now is, to some extent, both sides have hunkered down for the winter. Uh, The Russians are engaged in a multiple missile campaign against the Ukraine. They've been sending dozens and dozens and dozens of missiles over over the last couple of nights, Mm -hmm. uh, aiming mostly at the power grid in Ukraine. They want to try to freeze the Ukrainians over the winter. Uh, so far, Ukraine has had enough anti-missile systems um, to knock down both the missile, a uh, high percentage of the missiles, and as well as um, most of the drones that they're sending. Uh, so, so far, the Russians have not been successful. They have been causing deaths, obviously, and causing damage. But they're basically aiming at all the population centers at the moment because they're, they're unsuccessful, really, on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what's going to take place. I think most of the winter is going to be an attempt by the Russians to freeze the Ukrainians out. Now, the, Russia, the Ukrainians have been pretty successful in attacking now some of the, the rear areas of the Russians. Uh, a lot of the con- command and control centers, ammunition depots, all of those things, they've been very successful, and there also seem to be Ukrainian saboteurs really far behind the Russian lines that have also been been relatively successful. None of this is going to determine the battle ultimately, right? Um, but this is where it stands. Like I've said before, the Russians are just hoping that there's a different president of the United States who walks away from Ukraine. Um, the, the Ukrainians are worried about that and trying to build deeper ties with the Europeans who have made it clear they are going to stand by Ukraine regardless and are spending the money to do so right now. So that's where we stand right now in terms of Ukraine. Well, thank you for that update. Uh, also, uh, Bangladesh, what's going on there? Because Bangladesh had an election, uh, an election where the opposition boycotted, claimed it was an illegal election. Uh, the president of Bangladesh now was 
been reelected for the fourth time. You always have to worry when someone gets reelected four times in a row. Um, clearly, there's a there's a strong opposition. Um, there is threats of violence amongst the opposition, but the government is just waiting for violence on the opposition side because they claim all the opposition are, are terrorists. Um, so, you know, we live in a world uh, where there really is too much violence. I mean, I don't know, it sounds kind of trite, but it really is that people are uh, resorting to violence to settle political disputes. Is and that is that something new? I don't know. You know, I think we lived in a world for a while we thought we were going in the other direction. Right. I think, um, and this is an overall statement, that has nothing to do with American politics or any other politics. Yeah. Ten years ago, I would have told you that the world was heading towards a period of greater harmony, that people's differences were less important, that right. technology was was removing barriers, that we could talk to one another you know, you and I are talking by phone right now, but we could easily be doing this by video without a question. It would be two seconds, right? We'd right. pick up our phones and we'd be having a video conference. Right. Um, that all those things would bring people in the world closer together and realizing that the differences between us are not all that great. We're all humans. We all want our children's lives to be good. We want our own life to, you know, to live as long as we can, healthy as we can. Um, and, and the difference between us, whether it's over religion or some version of politics is not all that great. And I thought we were heading much more into towards that world 10 years ago, or you know, somewhere in that area. Yeah. Something happened in the world um, seven, eight, nine years ago. I can't put my finger on the exact change. Maybe it was Putin coming to power and consolidating um, some more, uh, the, the second rise of uh, radical Islam with ISIS, um, the rise of, of so much of identity politics in the United States, uh, various things of that kind have, have developed yeah. where we all look at what divides us more than what, what unites us. So perhaps, uh, I, perhaps then uh, we're, we're seeing the benefits of this instantaneous communication, but also maybe it's like dynamite. It could be used for good or bad. We're also seeing the downside. It exacerbates our differences and creates uh, ill will. Well, I think it clearly does. I think it does two, in two ways. Number one, uh, you and I don't agree on certain political matters. We talk all the time, right? right. Once a week we talk at least, if not more of, over email, etc. Right. But how many people uh, on social media or in, in person at this point ever speak to someone who has a different view than they do? Right. I mean, in depth. I don't mean, you know, posting a terrible thing. But how many people discuss things in depth with people of different views? Instead, we get fed more and more, and that's done by social media because their algorithms feed us what we want to see, right? Right. So we get more and more of the same, even worse. In other words, YouTube has been known previously that if you see some sort of radical video, um, whether it's on the right or the left, it doesn't make a difference right now what, what side of the political spectrum. It then sends you more radical, vi more radical yeah. uh, videos and even further radical because I see you like it, so I send you more of the same. And they want clicks. And, Mark, you know, it's such a great conversation. I wish we had more time, but I need to move on to my next guest. But I just genuinely appreciate and enjoy our conversations and, our, and our, uh, the uh, information you're giving us. So thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob, you and all your listeners. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with uh, John Miltimore. John is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. 
The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, they help uh, elected officials have winning strategies in their elected offices, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us John Miltimore. John is the editor-at-large for fee.org. John, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, John. Tell us about Fee.org. Yeah, Fee was an organization uh, founded in 1946. Um, our mission is to educate the next generation on economics and the importance of economic freedom. Terrific organization. I strongly recommend you visit the very robust website, FEE.org. You wrote a piece, I think, originally for the Washington Examiner. I see that it's now being published at the uh, website itself, Javier Malai is the anti-Hugo Chavez of South America. Well, he's off to a great start. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He really is off to a great start. It's one of the things, you know, we, we watch elections and we elect people, and sometimes they, they get some of their agenda through. Oftentimes they, they don't. Um, but Malay's really following through on what he promised. And, um, he you know, he, he's really the first libertarian president, you know, elected anywhere in modern history. Um, and it was, everybody was kind of, you know, waiting with bated breath to see what he would do and what he could do. And, um, you know, so far there's, there's reason, reason for encouragement. He came in and he, he cut bureaucracy in, in half. He eliminated a, a ton of these kind of, you know, wasteful ministries, things that didn't even exist probably, you know, 20 years ago, but as government grows, they start getting into, you know, all these different, uh, areas. Um, he, you know, came and he fixed some of the currency issues that, um, you know, issued a, a, a devaluation. The, the inflation there is, is such a problem. But he didn't stop there. He, he's really been, um, through executive orders and, and things at his disposal, he has been attacking the administrative state in other ways. Um, he's, he's making it uh, easier to, to privatize companies. Um, and And this is what kind of made me look at, you know, the, the, the parallel with, with Hugo Chavez. Um, I'm old enough to remember when, when Chavez was elected um, in, in 2007. He came in and he was elected as a, as a democratic socialist. I think he kind of dropped the democratic part after a few years, became a, a full-blown socialist. But he said all that was uh, privatized, let it be nationalized. Yeah. And that's what Chavez did. And, and we kind of see that in Venezuela today in, in the ruins of an economy. And, and you go and Venezuela, they had their economic problems back when Chavez was elected, but today it's a, it's a country really in ruins. They, right. They've, you know, five, six million people have fled the country. Poverty is, you know, about 95%. It's a disaster. And so I think Malay's doing something that's quite the opposite. He's taken a country that was kind of on that edge of going, you know, going bad. 
and he's trying to to fix things with economic liberty. And I think he's on the right track. I think he's on the right track, too. One thing I, I uh, don't understand is that I understand he needs a coalition. He needs to form a coalition in order to be able to govern and get the laws passed and so forth. Has he formed that coalition, do you know? Well, that's a great question. And I, I've talked to people in Argentina about this. And I'm going to see some this week, actually, as well, to get more details. Now, there's, he is, he's working on building a coalition, but he's actually in his most recent omnibus bill. He is seeking emergency powers. Um, and this is something I touch on a little bit too. This is this is dangerous. Okay, yes. we um we look at this during we we see it's sort of like the the modern paradigm um, for centralizing powers to say oh, we have a crisis, so yeah. we you need to give us these powers so we can fix you know the the crisis. And oftentimes when that happens, um, things get much worse because you are centralizing power, you're centralizing bureaucracy. Um, and people don't want to relinquish power once they have it. Yeah, I'll give you the... Um, uh, Malay is, is looking for, for some of those temporarily. Um, he is doing it to um, take on the administrative state, to, 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 to liberate the economy from statism. And so, so that's good, but we, we do need to be careful here. I think libertarians as well should watch what's happening here, make sure that these aren't, you know, those, right now it's just a legislative um, powers, which would allow him to do certain things. Um, if, if that expands to police, to police powers or, or, or punishing political enemies, this could be, you know, um, we got to be careful not giving, just because we like someone's politics, giving them a, a pass on, on some of the, you know, the accumulation of power. Boy, so well said. That is so important, John. And, uh, I mean, we, we just take a look at the pandemic here in the United States, the emergency powers yeah. and what developed from that. And just listening to the president say, I'm beginning to lose my patience <laughs> with the American people for not getting the jab, you know. So yeah. uh, it's a, it's a severe slippery slope and the road to hell is paved with good intentions so i love everything that he's committed to and eradicating the deep state you name it uh but you know he he needs to make sure he's following the rule of law here here no i i couldn't agree more and i i, I do think you know he's getting at a fundamental truth and i think a lot of people today forget that say we 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 live in 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 places we have big, big administrative states and there's this tendency to think like everything would fall apart mm-hmm. if we didn't have the powers in the capital, whether you know it'd be Buenos Aires or, or Washington D.C., um, kind of orchestrating all things, right? If you don't have people in, in, doing that, everything's going to fall apart. But I do think you know Adam Smith had it right when he said, "Little else is requisite to carry a state to the highest degree of opulence." from the lowest barbarism, but peace, easy taxes, and toler- tolerable administration of justice. Yeah. And I really, that, that is the message that Malay is channeling. We don't need, we don't need to be orchestrating this economy from back here. We just need to, to get out of the way and things will improve. And uh, if, if people can, can take that message and learn from it, we can actually you know, enact that over here. We'll be on, we'll be on a much better path. Oh, no question about it. Everybody's doing the hand-wringing about the government closing, but quite frankly, everything that bad has happened, I'm not saying only all bad things have happened, but everything that bad has happened is when Congress is in session and passing laws. So, you know, maybe we could take a little break from that. Right. I, I, you know, we, we, hand-wringing is a perfect term, you know, way to put that. Every time we go through this, and people are like, oh, no, the government is going to shut down, the government is going to shut down, and, and what you have is a few national parks that shut down for a little while, and a bunch <laughs> of media coverage that kind of works people into a friend. Yeah, it's it's too much. Again, uh, John Miltimore, he is the editor-at-large, editor-in-chief of uh, Fee.org. I hope you check out the website, fee.org. Just terrific source of information. If you have young people in your life, introduce them to this great organization that will be life-changing and create a lot of excitement in their lives. Uh, John, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Bob. You have a great week. You as well. Thank you so much, John. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. He's an author. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. 
With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett. He's a candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. He's a great guy. He's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of some great murder mysteries. His first was a Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its last and latest book is No Problem. Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's great, Bob. Up here in Wintry, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where I retired. We had a dusting of snow and a immediately got washed away so uh well that's good news I, I watched the patriots game a little bit last night and they were just slammed with a snowstorm yeah we escaped it here so um you know today i'm reading about the space program because frankly you know although i covered politics and finance i called myself a poly fi uh, reporter mm-hmm. politics and finance I get sick of it. It's so depressing. And so I look for positive things in 2024. And the two subjects that really excite me are the space program and artificial intelligence. And I'm especially excited by the space program because I lived through this as a young man, you Mm -hmm. know, watching the moon launches on TV. And it's hard to believe that we haven't had a moon launch from the United States in in 50 years. Yeah. The last Apollo mission was 1972. So so early this morning, uh, Boeing and Lockheed jointly launched a uh, rocket ship with a capsule to uh, land on the moon, a moon lander. And there's a Texas outfit that plans to launch in February and launch a lander to the moon. And and the one launched last night is expected to land on February 23rd. The one in Texas is supposed to launch next month and beat the uh, today's lander by one day. So it's it's like a, it's like an old fashioned race to the, to the moon science fiction movie. What's kind of interesting about this is that this is all generated by, not by government agencies, but by private companies. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's sort of joint. There's some NASA money, but you have to give credit where credit is due. It's actually, uh, I think it's the one good thing that Barack Obama did as president. He 
unleashed the forces of private enterprise so they could compete in space. I mean, he, he actually helped develop that program. Um, and it's a great idea because, as we see, uh, NASA is uh, so bureaucratic and so mm-hmm. slow and so prone to mistakes that to put our whole f- space future in their hands is... It just doesn't make sense at all. So you know, why do I recall, Jim, why do I recall that Barack Obama changed the mission of uh, NASA and basically said your job is not now to pop, send missiles into space and to do space exploration, it's to create positive relationships with the Muslim worlds or something like that. Do you recall that? I vaguely do. I, I just remember that when I was at Barron's, I, I wrote a uh, an article congratulating him for allowing the private sector mm. to aggressively compete in space. So, uh, mm. so uh, you know, and, and without that, we wouldn't have had Elon Musk, I mean, and, and SpaceX. SpaceX was one of the companies uh, that was spawned by that policy. Yeah. So... Uh, and uh, I was no fan of uh, President Barack Obama, but it, I mean, he did some things right. Um, so anyway, uh, NASA itself is planning to send a crew around the moon in November of this year, but yeah. it may be pushed back. And the reason is uh, the heat shield on our capsule uh, didn't perform properly uh, when they launched a uh, test test capsule a couple years ago apparently it worth then and they ha- they're trying to puzzle that out and they may have to redesign the orion space capsule so that you know there's uh the uh probably the the, the uh, government sector is slow it's plotting it's prone to uh, mistakes um now, what's interesting about today's launch is it's a partnership between Boeing and Lockheed Martin. And as we all know, uh, Boeing is is back on the hot seat because of its uh, Max jets. Yeah. The, uh, the, I, uh, the market uh, the futures are down substantially. I would suspect that that's about probably 80% Boeing. Uh, yes, because when, you know, that jet <clears throat> was gr- grounded between... Uh, March 2019 and December uh, 2020. It actually didn't really get back into the air until uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. And it cost the U.S. economy $20 billion because, you know, Boeing is such an essential part of our economy. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is a huge blow to the company because supposedly it was being um, retooled uh, top to bottom. Its management was being retooled because, it, you know, there was some kind of corporate rot there. And this would indicate that uh, somewhere in their um, management chain and in their production chain, there's a ser- there's potentially a very serious problem. You know, uh, hopefully it's just a case where, where one drunk came in on a Saturday afternoon and forgot to tighten a, a, a bolt. But if, it's, if it goes deeper than that... Yeah, you know, well, what I heard is that the uh, door that blew off, the section of the plane that blew off yesterday, 16,000 feet, apparently it was a patch because Alaska Airlines does not require emergency exit at that space. So they they plugged it, and uh, obviously the plug was not satisfactory or, or suitable for uh, the pressure that it was experienced in the plane, and it just blew off. The whole thing blew off. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Uh, the plane landed safely, and everybody had their seatbelt on at the time. So we're just very fortunate. Uh, we are because 346 people have died in previous Max crashes, and so uh, we got lucky this time. Absolutely. And personally, if I'm going to fly, I'm going to refuse to fly on that aircraft. Absolutely. You know, because. Well, you know, because, Jim, uh, I, I share your enthusiasm about the space program. It's pretty exciting to me, that, and it's a, it's a shame we've waited so long, but it's great to see what SpaceX and other companies are doing right now in space exploration. It's very imaginative, and uh, I'm on board. I'm very excited about the whole thing. Jim McTagg, again, uh, his latest book, No Problem. Check it out. It's a great murder mystery. Jim, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. You, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did, and I enjoy having you uh, listen to the show, so thank you for that. Uh, pass the word on if you enjoy the show and let your friends and neighbors know that's one of the ways we reward our advertisers for supporting us. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>